I'm Brett Chang. And I'm Jay Rosenthal, and this is your Peak Daily for St. Patrick's Day, Thursday, March 17th, where we cover the biggest stories in Canadian and global business, finance, and tech in about seven minutes. Jay, I totally forgot it was St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> My 23andMe tells me that I'm a quarter Irish, and so, you know, I should probably be celebrating today. Well, are you? No. Well, here's the thing is that I, I, I've just noticed that as we kind of move into this post-COVID period, people are still not yet comfortable, not because of the public health guidelines, but just not comfortable socializing very much. And so I just haven't seen a lot of activities around it. So you're not going out tonight? I'm definitely not going out tonight. I haven't gone out for St. Patrick's Day, though, in like, you know, the past six years. And so it would be a new <laughs> phenomena for me. What I did do, though, Jay, is I stayed in a few nights ago and I watched Turning Red, the Pixar movie about uh, a girl in Toronto. It's a great coming of age story. I don't want to spoil it. Uh, it is a great coming of age story, but one reviewer has gotten a little bit of flack or a lot of flack for calling it unrelatable. Did you find it relatable or unrelatable, Brett? But no, but his critique was that it's unrelatable unless you are an Asian Canadian who grew up in Toronto in the early 2000s. And Jay, that's me. So <laughs> I, I found it extremely relatable per his review. It's hard to say. I, look, I, I think it's a very nice movie. That was uh, not a great critique of it, but there was a bunch of other really bad takes too. And I, I can just say this. It was a very nice movie. It was a nice movie about a, a beautiful coming of age story. And it was fun and entertaining. And I would encourage everyone to watch it. I thought it was great. That's the, that's, I, a, that's a peak endorsement. I, I thought it was great too. Not that the movie needs any, are, are plugging at all because it's doing quite fine. But I, I found it not only relatable as someone who went through those same challenges in life, but also someone with kids. It was a good movie to watch with kids. It was a great highlight, I think, on Toronto. There were some really funny Toronto moments in there that I thought was just really fun to watch. I take it for granted, but it is just incredible to see the city in a global Pixar movie. By the way, that movie, well, we're not going to get into it, but uh, that movie, it's, uh, it was, it's a great movie. It's, that's all yeah. I'll say. I'll leave it there. I just, my two favorite parts about Toronto were the TTC. They kind of nailed that. Yeah. But also that they call it Sky Dome and it Sky plays Dome. an important role in the movie. Well, because it was back then it was Sky Dome. It, that's accurate for the time. I know, but it's a nice callback to a simpler yeah. time, maybe. Yeah. Brett, aside from turning red and actually going out because it's a day of green, what do we have for Peak Pals today? For our first story, bond bailout. For our second story, lithium liars. And for our third story, changing time. For our first story, Russia is on the verge of defaulting on its debts after failing to make $177 million in payments to two of its bonds yesterday, the first due since the Russian invasion on Ukraine. Brett, that doesn't sound good for Russia. Want to walk Peak Pals through exactly what it means? It's not good at all. And so the missed payments start the clock, and this is sounds like very ominous, the clock on a 30-day grace period before rating agencies declare Russia in default and downgrade the country's credit rating. Now, the bonds in question require payments to be made in U.S. dollars, but Russia has said they will only make payments in rubles, not surprising given how much limited their access to foreign currency is these days, but those rubles are not worth too much. But the bonds promise payments in U.S. dollars, not rubles, so payment in rubles would still constitute a default. So that's good context, but the PPLs want to know, why does Russia defaulting on their debts matter, Jay? I'll get to that in a second, but imagine being owed U.S. dollars and someone hands you rubles. And just like if you decided to stop paying your credit card bill, a country can also default on its debt. It's called a sovereign default with similarly harmful consequences. In the near term, however, a default may not actually change that much because of the immediate damage done by default has already been dealt out by sanctions. Well, yeah, for one, Jay, Russia will be locked out of global capital markets and the currency will lose value, making it more expensive for people in Russia to buy imports. But sanctions have already kind of achieved both of those things. 
Yeah, and bondholders will suffer losses, but the two bonds due yesterday were already trading at like 30 cents on the dollar. Markets have already factored in the default to a significant degree, which isn't to say this default won't have long-term consequences for Russia that outlast the war in Ukraine. Its credit rating will still be trashed, and it could find itself paying exorbitant interest rates to borrow money from global markets even after sanctions are one day lifted. Which leads us to the bigger picture, Brett, which is? Well, after invading Ukraine, the West cut Russia off in the world's capital markets for, you know, quote unquote, political reasons. After defaulting on the debt, Russia is likely to find itself cut off from capital markets for now credibility reasons. Lenders will no longer trust that they'll get their money back. And that distrust is expensive. And it's likely to last even after the sanctions are removed and the war hopefully comes to an end fairly soon. For our second story, Vancouver-based miner Alpha Lithium is suspending a deal to sell a stake in its lithium mine to a company owned by Russia's state nuclear energy corporation. This is all per the logic. The decision comes after Anita Balakrishnan reported some security experts' concerns about the deal, which would see Russian-owned Ukrainian One taking a 15% stake in Alpha's Tilalar Solar mine in Argentina for $30 million U.S. million, along with the rights to acquire another 35%. Despite no knowledge of sanctions related to the uranium company, which is part of a network owned by Russia's state atomic energy corporation, Alpha Lithium decided it has enough cash on hand and potential bidders to just pull out. Okay, but here's an interesting fact. Before Uranium One was taken private by the Kremlin in 2013, it was Canada's second top uranium producer. Its LinkedIn page still says it's Canadian-based, but most of its operations now focus on Kazakhstan, which is actually the world's top uranium producer. Now, the mining question is one of the last developed deposits in Argentina's so-called lithium triangle and has a potential to be a significant source of lithium products used in lithium-ion batteries for electric vehicles. And so, Jay, why should PeakPels care about this random Argentinian lithium mine? Well, it's not so random, right? We're talking about it. As Canada looks to support Western allies and punish Russia for its ongoing invasion of Ukraine, deals with Russian companies are under increasing threat of sanctions and national security reviews, but this one went untouched. Last year, Canada said it would apply more scrutiny under the Investment Canada Act to deals involving critical minerals, including lithium. But they decided not to conduct a formal national security review, which are resource intensive and really highly complex. Yeah, sounds like a bit of oversight there. Wesley Wark, (laughs) a senior fellow at the Center for International Governance Innovation, previously told The Logic there was absolutely no way the government should let the deal move forward and that it was a mistake. So to wrap up all this mining intrigue, as tensions between Western countries Russia, and China grow, there will be increasing pressure on Canadian businesses, especially those in strategic sectors like lithium mining. We all love lithium and need it for all the electric vehicles that we're always talking about to go beyond the business details of a deal and apply a geopolitical lens as well. For our final story. The U.S. Senate unanimously voted to pass the Sunshine Protection Act, a bill that would make daylight time permanent. If approved by the House of Representatives and signed by President Biden, it could motivate Canada to do the same. Brett, aside from the U.S. Senate obviously needing a better copywriter, it feels like only yesterday that our clocks moved ahead. So what are we doing talking about this now? No, I like the name. It draws a wedge. You either want to protect sunshine or you want to destroy (laughs) sunshine. And I don't know about you, Jay, but I'm on the protect sunshine team. Ontario and BC have passed similar measures that would eliminate the biannual clock flip-flop, but have held off on instituting them until their American neighbors, New York, California, Oregon, Washington, etc., also make the move so that their time zones remain aligned. I would hate to go to Vermont and have to turn my clock back an hour. Totally. 
the standard, quote unquote, standard aspect of Eastern and Pacific Standard Time loses its meaning when everyone involved is not exactly on the same clock and sending up a conference call to Seattle from Vancouver will become a lot more complicated. Ahead of the pack, we have Saskatchewan and Yukon, which haven't observed the changes since 1961 and 2020, respectively. A fun fact, when I lived in Australia, Jay, Queensland and New South Wales, the two states that are north-south of each other, they had this, where they had like, a, they, one of them did daylight savings time, the other one didn't. And so you always had to move your clock back and forth if you were traveling north-south. Very odd. Anyways, and while the time change might be an inconvenience for most of us, it could actually do some real harm. Research points to very real and scary correlations between daylight savings time and seasonal affective disorder, low productivity, and reported rashes of workplace injuries. Economically, more daylight could help conserve energy and spur growth for small businesses with more people going out while there's still daylight. But there's still some value in keeping the old-fashioned way, Brett, like avoiding startlingly late sunrises in the winter. For example, did you know this past winter solstice in Ontario, sunrise was at 7.47 a.m.? Imagine not seeing daybreak until 8.47 a.m. It's very northern Canada. Yeah, I, I will look. It doesn't matter. Either way, now that our border buddy is set to eliminate this relic, it looks increasingly likely that we will soon be liberated, finally, from the burden of trying to remember how to change our own oven clocks twice a year. The burden's heavy. Peak Pals, thanks for making us the most listened to and only daily Canadian business news podcast in the country. If you've got a second, why not follow this podcast on your app of choice and leave us a review. And if you want more Peak, make sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter at readthepeak.com. And as always, thanks to Dale Richardson and 306 Media Productions for putting together this episode. Thank you, Dale. And thank you, Brett. And Brett, as soon as we're done recording, I have some Russian bonds that I'm looking to get rid of. You want to buy them? Oh, uh, I'll, buy them in, I'll buy them in rubles. <laughs> Fair enough. That's what yeah. I'm selling them in. Anyway, have a good day, Brett. You too.